0: Thank you, Forefront and our worship team for getting us started. Uh, My name is Denia Perez. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and ella in Spanish. And as Natasha mentioned, I am a preaching bootcamp alum and I've been attending Forefront since the fall of 2018. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. I'm also a little nervous. Uh, I can't decide if this is more nerve-wracking than court. (laughs) Uh, But I'm here, and so thank you all for being here and for being gracious and patient as I go through this sermon. Um, We are currently in our values series, and I'm really excited to preach on the topic of uncommon kinship. Um, And before I tell you why I'm excited about preaching about friendship and uncommon kinship, I want to again... Give our love and a shout out to Reverend Josh and Austin, who are tying the knot today. Can we give them some love? <clears throat> <sighs> Sending them our love and prayers so that their marriage is full of joy and grace and just fun. Um, I hope that it's fun and there's a lot of friendship um, as a basis for their marriage. So. For people who know me, you know that in addition to being Christian, I'm also a baby astrologer slash enthusiast. Those two are not mutually exclusive. I think God gave us astrology as a tool to understand ourselves, the universe, and each other. So I would be remiss not to point out how perfect this topic is for me, given that I am someone with an Aquarius Venus, which essentially means that my planet of love and values and how I relate to people is in the planet, or in the sign of Aquarius, which means that I value friendship over most types of relationships. Platonic love is the apex for me. Um, So, yes, (laughs) you can clap. (laughs) Um, So given this placement um, and my life experience, um, I'm excited and prepared to go into detail about why platonic love is the most underrated love and how exploring and investing in this type of intimacy can actually help us become closer and better understand God. So now that you know my little astro background, um, a little bit more about me. Uh, I grew up in a Catholic church, uh, attended a predominantly Mexican immigrant church in Sonoma County in the San Francisco Bay Area, and growing up, I felt like there were a lot of empowering and beautiful messages that I internalized as I made it through the Holy Sacraments. Um, In particular, the the idea that we should center those on the margins, be community-minded, and honor our parents and our elders as we do God. I remember a priest would often pray for immigrants crossing the border, for those who were incarcerated and separated from their families, um, and for women and others escaping intimate partner violence. However, uh, as is the case in most faith practices, I also learned that Catholicism contained many toxic and harmful messages, especially relating to sin, guilt, and how the correlation between sin and guilt affect our accessibility to and lovability by God. I learned that in order to access God, I had to confess my sins and be spiritually on point. I learned that while God was a merciful God, he was also a vengeful and jealous God, and he would not hesitate to punish me for my transgressions and my mistakes. How this translated in my day-to-day life is that if I said or did something that could be considered a sin, I would immediately feel unworthy or unlovable. Not just by God, but also by my friends and family. I learned how to make myself small and palatable, how to be good and obedient, so that I could earn the love love and intimacy of those around me. Conversely, if and when I felt like I was not okay or I had messed up or I treated someone poorly, I learned to isolate and stay away from God and the people I loved for fear of rejection. Uh, This conditional relationship with God was only complicated and reinforced by my experience navigating life as a first generation undocumented immigrant woman. So I was born in Mexico, and I came to the U.S. with my family when I was 11 months old, and I grew up understanding that my acceptance into the U.S. was conditional on my productivity, on my assimilability, um, in essence, my ability to fit into the good immigrant or good Mexican binary. Uh, I had to be someone who pulls herself up by her bootstraps, no matter the challenges or the circumstances, someone who perseveres despite the overwhelming odds and who does so without ever asking or taking assistance, uh, lest I become a burden to the country I call home and the people who have welcomed me. So, fast forward to college, um, like many people, (laughs) I went through a period in my early 20s, late teens, where I was learning about and being exposed to new ideas, philosophies, and values that started making me question my Catholic upbringing. Around the same time that my political consciousness was growing, my parents were also on the verge of deportation. And the DREAM Act, uh, which would have provided a pathway to citizenship for people like me who were brought to the U.S. as children, failed to pass. Uh, Because I was ineligible for federal financial aid due to the fact that I'm undocumented, um, I couldn't afford paying tuition at the women's college I was attending. I ended up dropping out moving back home to attend community college until I could figure out a way to transfer and pay for more affordable university. During this time, I felt like I couldn't tell anyone the truth because I felt abandoned by God. I thought, if God had let this happen, what would my friends think or do when I revealed my legal status to them? I was experiencing a spiritual famine that in turn led me to isolate and push away the friends in my life, who at the time were trying to understand what was happening. Uh, Like Naomi in the book of Ruth, which we'll dive into in a second, um, my attempts to isolate while I was undergoing this faith and life crises uh, led me to keep my friends at a distance. I didn't want to burden them with my problems, especially when we were all just trying to enjoy our youth. Lucky for me and my faith journey, my friends were just as stubborn and loyal as Ruth. So let's talk about Ruth. So Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Um, Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death, if death parts me from you. So there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, a little bit of background and context for this conversation. So it's a conversation happening between two women, Ruth and Naomi. Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law by marriage. Uh, There's a severe famine that drove the women out of Israel and claimed Naomi's husband and two sons, leaving Naomi widowed. Naomi's the uh, mother-in-law. And Ruth also became widowed. There's a third woman named Orpah as well, who's also widowed. And so Naomi being the older, wiser woman um, in this situation and without her husband and sons, it was a tragic situation and so when she's saying you know like you should go to these two women she wants to spare them basically her fate she wants them to try to remarry she encourages them to return to the lands of their father so that they might marry again and Orpah does leave but Ruth refuses to leave her alone um The story ends happily. When the famine ends and they return to Israel, Ruth is able to remarry. She actually remarries a good man named Boaz. um, And they are able to live in community. Uh, Ruth continues to take care of Naomi, Naomi and they continue this beautiful relationship even though she remarries. So I think there are a couple ways uh, to interpret this scripture Um, It has been used in wedding vows. Uh, It has been used to illustrate how God should underpin all of our actions, how faith in Jesus should be a source of great hope. And I think there's also an argument to be made that it could support the idea of assimilation because, again, um, Ruth was a non-Jew who marries into this Jewish family, takes on the traditions, and so, you know, the part where she says, your people shall be my people, your God, my God. I think there's an argument to be made for that. Uh, however, I want to make the case as an attorney <laughs> uh, for an alternative interpretation of this passage. Uh, I posit that the Bible, this Bible verse is actually a celebration of platonic love and intimacy. Uh, I think it's an invitation for us to experience God's grace and love through our friendships And the reason I believe that is because in this passage, Ruth shows us the power of platonic love and healing powers, how our friendships and relationships to community uh, can help us repair and reconstruct our relationship with faith, um, and even give us insight into how big and generous God is. Naomi is someone who I have identified with in various points in my life. She's someone who's experienced heartbreaking loss, who has resigned herself to a life of isolation due to her fear of being a burden on those around her. But fortunately, she had Ruth, uh, someone who sees her at her most vulnerable and chooses to stay, not out of obligation or pity, because we all know mother-in-law law relationships can be complicated, <laughs> but out of love. She shrugs off Naomi's attempts to push her away and instead lovingly claps back and says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. If that isn't an example of a ride or die bestie, I don't know what is. (laughs) She said, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. Can we just take a moment to soak that in? The power and devotion in Ruth's response to Naomi is beautiful because how many of us have experienced that? How many of us have been blessed by the kind of friendship where you don't have to put on airs about how you're really doing, and I might cry, I'm also cancer rising, so. Uh, (laughs) uh, Where you don't have to code switch or downplay the messier parts of yourself in order to receive grace and love. And how many of us have been transformed by the power of those friends and loved ones? I know I have. So I made a collage, Um, I think, there we go. Um, This is a collage of the roofs in my life. These are the folks who at various low points, uh, various low points I experienced, refused to abandon me even after I unloaded my pain, reveal my mess (laughs) and tried to push or even scare them away with my problems. When I came out as undocumented in my early 20s and explained that, even though I've lived in this country since I was a baby, um, but have no pathway to a green card. I expected my U.S. citizens' friends to, at best, politely shake their heads in disbelief and quietly unfriend me. (laughs) Um, At worst, I expected them to angrily cut me off and parrot some of the horrible xenophobic rhetoric many politicians and non-immigrants often spew, but they did the opposite. Like Ruth, yes, (laughs) yes. Uh, Like Ruth, they stayed and listened. Not only did they listen to my story, um, they helped advocate for me to get additional funds and financial aid so I could finish my education. Um, They raised money to help me pay for my DACA renewal. I told you I would cry. (laughs) Not sorry. Feelings are welcome here. Um, And they have come to rallies, marches, and signed petitions urging Congress to fix our our immigration system. In response to me sharing my story um, and the challenges that my family and I faced as undocumented immigrants, they acted like Ruth, and with their actions said, your people are my people, and where you go, I will go. When I met other undocumented friends who were also trying to navigate academia and thrive in spite of the legal obstacles in their path, they blessed me with their knowledge, welcomed me into the immigrants' rights movement, and inspired me with their resilience and vulnerability. When I felt alone (laughs) in law school, which was often, and emotionally burnt out from working within a hostile system, my roots reassured me reminded me of my gifts and shared resources to help me navigate this new chapter of my professional journey. When I developed a panic disorder (laughs) at the beginning of the pandemic and wasn't sure if I would be able to take the train again or adjust to NYC living, they accompanied me on my commutes, they let me sleep over at their apartments and shared best practices for managing anxiety. When I questioned my faith and wondered whether God even existed, my fellow forefronters, some of them pictured in the lower left corner, showed me through their love and devotion that not only was God real, but that God is a loving, gracious, and patient God. A God that works through and in people and relationships. A God that wants to see and walk with us even in... No, especially in our most vulnerable and messy spiritual state. God uses the people in our life like he used Ruth in Naomi's life to show her that she was not a burden, that she was worthy of love and commitment, not based on familial obligation or duty, but one based on intentional devotion. In preparation, For this sermon, I pulled some friends on social media, as one does. (laughs) Um, I asked about their thoughts on platonic intimacy as a vehicle for connecting with God. um, And these are some of the responses I got. Uh, Someone said, a lot of people actually said, God is love. Like, I feel closer to God because of my friendships and relationships. Someone said, I love substituting the word God for love and seeing what that does for me and in my life. A law school classmate of mine said, you know, we built families and leaned on each other to get through the trauma of law school. Even though I'm not classically religious these days, it's hard not to think about that and recognize that something bigger than us brought our respective people together. And then I have a friend who is also undocumented, also an immigration attorney, who shared this beautiful uh, story about a client of hers. She said, uh, my client has a friend who she met in prison who was the most helpful and quickly sprung to action to help her friend. She was helping my client gather her entire criminal history, she was helping her write emails, reviewing chemo while she was going through chemo and uh, cancer treatment. She told me she had never made such a close friend as my client and felt compelled to help her and her children. The most shocking part to me, in parentheses she goes, driven by my own biases, is that this friend is very Christian, white, Texan woman from a very conservative part of Texas. These two would have never become friends, and really family, outside of the prison system. I was really moved and inspired by their love for each other, and it made me think about how we can be closest to the most vulnerable spiritual parts of ourselves, with complete strangers, who we choose to share our lives with. My client's friend kept saying how she refused to believe that God would give my client five children only for her not to be able to be in their lives. So she was willing to do anything in her power to prevent that. It was refreshing and emotional to hear, but it made me feel a lot of hope. Long-winded way to say that friendships can be a form of God, love and humanity for each other just because. I definitely cried when I read that. (laughs) Um, And just with all of these examples and maybe even the ones you shared about earlier this morning during the meet and greet conversation, I think all illustrate how God uses other people and sometimes uses us to show us their grace and perseverance. Earlier I was referring to God as he when I was talking about my Catholic upbringing, but part of my spiritual undoing and redeeming has meant seeing God as more gender expansive so using they now um, we might not always be ready to receive or see God because we might feel unworthy or angry with God which is valid and happens so God sends us Ruth's or God invites us to be Ruth's in other people's lives in order to demonstrate that we are loved, we are seen, and we are worthy. So let us be transformed by the relationships in our lives that give us deeper insight into God's grace. May we have the courage to be Ruth's and Naomi's so that we can experience the depth of God's love and devotion. And by doing so, allow ourselves to be, to allow ourselves and our world to be transformed. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for bringing us all together this morning, this rainy fall morning, to gather and meet new friends and reflect upon our old friends who you've placed in our lives to help us see how big and vast and beautiful your love is. I pray that when we feel unworthy or alone, are unlovable, that you send us roots to remind us of your expansiveness and your perseverance in always walking with us and letting us know that we are always worthy, always lovable, and always seen. Amen. Amen.